Thank you very much, David. And uh, Arlene, is there a, another microphone? So that yep. we can bring it around questions? now. Okay. Whoever, I'll, I'll go with whoever's got the other microphone. Hello. Yes. Um, no, thanks. You, went, you mentioned the building of the World War I monument in Washington, D.C. Um, currently, there are only three World War I museums worldwide. One is in England that's incorporated with the, with the uh, Great Britain's armories. Uh, the other one is in Australia. The third one is actually up in Kansas City, Missouri. It was started as a state memorial for those killed during World War I, and it turned into a national one because no other state was doing it. Um, the other thing is, is, is you talk about the draft and bring back the draft. Well, I serve with the malcontents fostered by the draft. They poisoned every military service that they were in. They contaminated the environment that you served in. A draft is nothing but pure misery for all involved. And remember, when you're classified 4F, no matter what your political reasons, you carry that 4F designation for life. Mr. Trump, but anyways, uh, that's it. Well, I, I will let others, I think, reply more appropriately to that than myself. But I, I don't oppose the draft because I want a better military. I oppose the draft as part of the process of eliminating militaries from the world. Yes, uh, thank you for your talk. Uh, I certainly learned a lot, and I really appreciate what you're doing. Um, one thing that entered my mind while you were talking was I was certainly opposed to the Iraq war when it came on. And, but w what should we have done in response to the 9-11 attacks? I know uh, going to Iraq war was not a response to that, but what should we have done? Uh, the question is, what should the United States government, I assume, not you and I, have done in response to the 9-11 attacks? Um, I, I think, again, the, the time travel uh, answer is important. If we're going to go back to 2001, can't we go back a few years more uh, and stop engaging in the behavior that created that sort of hostility and violence, uh, which, you know, understanding and recognizing and ceasing and desisting doesn't justify or excuse that violence. It just stops promoting and encouraging it. Uh, once you get to something like 9-11 happening, which is a horrendous crime, you treat it as a crime and you prosecute suspects who are suspected of responsibility in collaboration with that crime. You know, when Timothy McVeigh blew up a building in Oklahoma City, we didn't go find, well, I think he might have spent some time in Oregon. Let's go flatten Oregon. You know, that would have seemed bizarre and cruel to the people of Oregon. They would have said, what the hell are you doing to us? This was some nut who lived here for a month. You know, well, 15 years of killing thousands and thousands of people in Afghanistan who not only had nothing to do with 9-11, but almost all of them haven't heard of it. have never heard about 9-11. Killing them 
kicking in their doors, shooting them for sport from helicopters, stabbing pregnant women and you know to get the bullets out to pretend somebody else shot them. All of this madness for 15 years and running. Uh, you know, this is not a legal, moral, or practical response to a crime. The Taliban was willing, according to numerous reports, I mean, beyond dispute, you can look at the negotiation details, to turn bin Laden over to a third country to be put on trial. Do that. And if you can't do that, seek to do that. Seek extradition. See, you know, uh, Shirin Abadi, a woman I know from Iran, a Nobel Peace Prize winner, said, you should have built schools in Afghanistan and named each school for a victim of 9-11. And people would have found out about 9-11, heard what it was, how horrible it was. You, know, you would have educated. So bombing people doesn't educate them. right? So seek extradition for criminals. Prosecute them for crimes. See, you, you know, then exactly what sort of judicial system and system of punishment is a separate question. But treat a crime as a crime not as an excuse for war. It's always treated as an excuse for war, and and a war, by the way, that was an excuse to start another war in Iraq from the start before Afghanistan. The plan was to use that as a stepping stone to Iraq, which, of course, had nothing to do with bin Laden. Uh, So I I also, by the way, would not have, once he was uh, an old crippled invalid, isolated, and not running some worldwide terrorist organization, but sitting in a house unguarded and unarmed in Pakistan, I wouldn't have gone and killed him in cold blood and lied about it and rushed out to lie about it in such a way that it blew relations with Pakistan and endangered sources and created all kinds of lies that had to be corrected and facilitated the CIA's lies in Zero Dark Thirty that torture works and all, you know, not, not a sensible approach. You know, the world sympathized. The world was the United States, like we are Paris and we are Brussels and all of that sympathy, blown, gone, out the window. When you use one crime as an excuse to kill hundreds and thousands of times as many people in a bunch of other crimes. I, I would have listened to the 9-11 uh, uh, victims' families for Peaceful Tomorrows and, and those groups uh, of 9-11 victim families who said, don't use our loved ones as an excuse for violence and war. They were right. With regard to 9-11, even if you disregard World Trade Center 7, which was clearly a controlled demolition, if you look at any of the footage, you can clearly see that the buildings, the two towers, were blown up. They did not collapse, as was claimed. There is compelling evidence that this was a false flag operation. And at the risk of sounding like a tin hat, I stand by the evidence that I've seen. I, I, think, there are two imp- I think there are two important things that even those of us uh, who flunked out of engineering school can, can all agree on. One is there's never been a serious, credible investigation, and they're still censoring little bits of the shoddy investigation they did do. And number two, whoever blew it up or didn't blow it up or destroyed it in whatever manner, they immediately used it as an absolutely immoral and illegal excuse for massive crimes. Uh, And, you know, 
I don't, I don't, I don't know. I can't add anything to your expertise on how the buildings fell. You know, I've seen the same videos you have. I'm afraid I'm going to disagree with you as far as the draft is concerned. And the reason I say that is from my own personal experience. I graduated from University of North Carolina in the spring of 1969. That whole senior year, I was dreading the fact that I was going to be drafted. So I was engaged. I was engaged to fight for a war that I did not believe in. But the draft forced me to be engaged. It forced me to be engaged. Because we don't have a draft now, the students out there in the United States, they don't even have a concept that there's a war is going on. It doesn't bother them. They're not engaged. They're not affected. Now, that when, we, when I think about the draft, I don't think it con con exclusively military. I think about a service. You go back to uh, Kennedy's statement. Ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. So I think it, a draft builds a sense of community, a sense of a united United States. I joined a Corps. The Corps was the Peace Corps. Why can't we have a selective draft that everybody has to participate in to be part of our country, to be more engaged? And why can't we expand a Peace Corps so when we talk about nation building in different countries that were bombing to shreds, instead of getting Halliburton to rebuild it, why don't we rebuild it as a people of the United States? Well, there are probably a number of things there we agree on. I would love to recreate the Civilian Conservation Corps. I would love to create a, a local, state, national, and global, and global exchange programs of service, uh, things that I actually consider services uh, that, I that I would thank people for. Um, but I think if you had a draft that gave young people a choice between going off and killing and dying in Afghanistan and working on disaster relief and farms and solar energy and teaching projects in schools and so forth, you know, a, a good many of them would not choose to go kill and die in Afghanistan, and they probably wouldn't be made active peace activists by the threat of being forced to go teach in a school. Um, I think if you had a draft that credibly threatened uh, all young people with being forced to go off and kill and die in a war, it would certainly wake a bunch of them up, and I would love that. I spend my life trying to get people to wake up and get engaged and get active, but I wouldn't do it at the price of the kind of war it would have to be for these people to even start a draft, much less seriously use one. I mean, th this is a military now that can kill thousands and thousands of people without, you know, setting foot on the ground, without even setting foot in an airplane, with, with drone airplanes. They have drone ships now. They have, drone sh they have ships of drone airplanes. They have drones from submarines. They, you know, th this is the direction they're going, and they're going toward proxies, and they're going toward uh, 
they're they're going toward robots and they're going toward foreign forces and mercenaries because because they don't want to go to the draft. Uh, but if if they were to go to the draft and men and women into the draft, it would be because they've they've really started what's likely going to be World War Three. What's likely going to kill us all. But you know, even if it's killing on the and destroying on the scale of Vietnam, that's dramatically worse than any of the wars. You know, you can't play out all of these wars into the future you know Iraq will never recover who knows the the full extent of the damage but people are still dying in Vietnam too it was dramatically worse than any of the more recent wars um, so I, I you know tell young people that if we put, weren't putting all our money into this madness college could be free and they wouldn't have to graduate with fifty hundred thousand dollars debt if they don't have the brains to, to recognize that as relevant to their life, you know, tell them that climate change is going to kill us all if we don't do something about it. Tell them that nuclear weapons are going to kill us all if we don't do something about it. If we can't get, if that's not direct and selfish enough to get engaged, um, you know, we really have to go back to primary education. We're in real, real trouble. I, 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 I quote John Kennedy back at you, uh, you know, we will have war until the conscientious objector has the prestige and respect that the soldier has today. And the soldier doesn't. Do I hold this? Okay. David, I think you've done a really remarkably good job here. And I, I, the last statements where you're coming from the standpoint of the conscientious objector and the humanitarian aspect of the, the evils of war, I think we can all agree on that. And uh, in some ways, I'm sure this many people here you're preaching to the choir and it doesn't hurt to hear these things repeatedly I'm concerned about the gentleman over here talked about 9-11 uh, thank you I am very concerned about the political aspect of what's going on because I don't think anyone here in this room is we talk about we and money and withholding money these people don't need our money They'll tax us, but they don't need our money to wage war, not the people who control the currency. And they have all the money they want because they can create the money. So it's not the money solution. That's where I would disagree with you somewhat. I would also question something, uh, and if you may take this, believe me, I, I have every amount of respect for what you've said. But if you take this in the spirit that it's meant, you're rightfully questioning the credibility of the New York Times. I mean, that goes without saying. And yet, almost unconsciously, you've accepted the stories that have been promulgated by the New York Times, such as the Bin Laden story. Uh, we, we have to look at these things. You can't be an expert on everything. And you certainly know your, your stories about the wars and the lies. But 9-11 was more than an inside job. The lies, the hoax, the lies of the deaths, the lies of the planes, the lies of the Arab hijackers. God forbid the masses in this country ever understand how and who the 9-11 event. We know the why. The why with the Patriot Act, the war in Iraq, the uh, war on terror, the homeland security, the, the fear of the, Arab, the Muslim under your bed. We know the why. Now, we know the who. 
we want to start talking about who is responsible for these wars. It's not us, it's not voters, it's not bloodthirsty people that have been persuaded that the enemy is some kind of an animal. I heard that when I was on active duty during the Korean War. There were in the Vietnam War, there were gooks, and the Germans in World War I were the Huns that bayoneted babies. You always demonize the enemy. You, kn you know that, I'm sure. I'm sure your book covers all that stuff. It's not the people that get, the gullible people that get brainwashed by these people. The people that own the mainline media today, that own the newspapers, own the magazines, own the federal judgeships, own the, uh, own, uh, own the government. You're right. When they're in there, they're being paid off, and they don't dare get out because they have careers. Um, I, it's not exactly a question. It's obviously a statement. But I want to thank you very much for your, your time, your effort. We're with you 100%, and I don't, know, I don't know what we can do other than the things you suggested about you know, mass action, pacifism. My feeling is there's got to be a lot more than that. We've got to finger the people that are responsible, and we've got to go after them, we've got to prosecute them. Thank you. Two more questions. Can you do it, David? Are you okay? Sure. I'm not going to ask. I was, uh, was going to ask a question about ISIL. I was going to ask a question about ISIL, but after the outburst of what happened here with 9-11, what I'm going to ask everybody, and, and don't even raise them, how many of you seen the planes go in the building on 9-11, and that's the reason why you think that it happened? And then I'll ask you, how many of you have further looked for some facts as to the reason why them buildings went into there? Anybody? Anybody go further on it? One, two, three, four, is that it? Five, six, is that it? I mean, don't you know how the building was built? Don't you know how the plane was built? Don't you know what Isaac Newton's laws of physics are? You, you had that in school? I had a granddaughter that come out in defense of me when I was talking to her father, and she come out and let us know about Isaac Newton. But there is no way that plane with a plastic nose and a fiberglass body and a thin skin aluminum is going through the strongest steel building we ever built. End of story. And then to make it worse, where's the yellow ribbon that should have been around that crime scene? It wasn't there, was it? They picked that all up illegally and took them over to China and wherever. One more question. Let's get the one more question, then I'll answer the past three here, four or whatever. Um, yeah, I just want to, more of a whatever <laughs> um, announcement, I guess. David and I had the absolute honor and pleasure, more of an honor, of being in Afghanistan together um, a couple years back with a group of young people called the Afghan Peace Volunteers. They have turned into a worldwide group of youth. It used to be the Afghan Youth Peace Volunteers, and now they're growing up before our eyes, and now they're the Afghan Peace Volunteers. This group of orphans 
and street kids and students. Um, David and I have worked with, with countless others around the world. And somebody asked um, just a minute ago, what can we do? And I can say this, just, just this morning or yesterday, um, we always have people on the ground consistently in Afghanistan with them. The projects that these kids do over there, given the hellacious conditions they live in, the threats of death and being bombed and every day, these kids go, they create warm comforters for those in the refugee camps. They run schools for kids, <laughs> they're not even in school, for the little ones. They create jobs for women so they can get out of their house and make these duvets, called the duvet project, make these comforters and they bring them by the truckload and give them to the people through the Afghan winter. And more and more and more projects. And the one thing that has kept them going for years now, David and I, what was it, 2009-ish, we were there together with a whole coalition of people. They're all over the website, check it. The Afghan Peace Volunteers. They will amaze you, but the one thing they want and that keeps them going is a connection with us, with you, even though they don't know you. All over the world people have come, we've done all kinds of talks, and every month, on the 21st of every month, we have what we call the Global Days of Listening. We put together, uh, how they do it in Afghanistan is amazing, you know, with a walkie-talkie and maybe a Skype and a phone that doesn't work. And we talk, they talk to us and we talk to them. And it doesn't make them feel alone. That's really what they want from us. And to know that we're here tonight talking about them and their lives and we haven't forgotten them is what keeps them going day to day to day. Thank you very much, and uh, thank you, David. Uh, Can let's, I? let's stand up and uh, give David a big round of applause. Man, you've been going. Thank you. You're to be admired. Can I say a few words to say the like the last three? Sure, go ahead. Um, very quickly, I in, I endorse that to support the Afghan peace volunteers, and more importantly, get involved on their calls on Skype and get them to do events talking to groups of young people here in in Florida over the internet it's you know incredibly useful um, I, on 9/11 I just see my own government for the past many years going around the world killing millions of people creating millions of refugees destroying entire nations and every event I go to people don't want to talk about those casualties or that suffering in the way that they want to talk about 9-11, uh, and that, you know, that little bit of what war is like coming back home to the biggest war maker in the world is, is an obsession for the people who live here beyond its, its relative importance. And, and on holding people accountable, you know, the, the, the Brits think their government is a bunch of whitewashing nonsense who never hold anyone accountable, but they keep putting out these reports on how the Iraq war got started, and the next one comes out July 6th, uh, the, the Chilcot inquiry report, unless they delay it again, 
why they couldn't make the 4th of July, I don't know. But July 6th, uh, you know, when that comes out, spread the word, get this guy to write in the local paper, spread the word all around uh, that, you know, they were bit players. They were accomplices. You know, the people who did it are golfing in Texas and, you know, teaching school in New York, and we ought to hold ours accountable. Just uh, one, that's very true. 